everybody. My name is Patrick, and I just wanted to welcome you to our online stream. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. And if it's your first time watching, I want to let you know that today uh, is Palm Sunday, and we have a special service plan to really kick off our Easter week. Uh, and also want to let you know that this coming week, we have a Good Friday service here at our Traverse City campus. Uh, and we also have services coming up on Easter. So it'll be Saturday night that we have a service at 5.30 p.m. And then this coming Sunday at 9 and 11. So if you've been watching online, but you've been looking for a reason to come and see it live, this Easter service is going to be amazing, and we would love to invite you to join us. also want to let you know that if you're not following us on social media, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. That's really the best way to keep up with everything that's happening here at our campus. Well, I think we're about to get started. We'll see you right back here in just a few minutes. Joy. Oh, come and see the King. 
Welcome to Kensington. My name is Patrick. Thanks so much for singing with us. You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, and if this is your first time, we just want to say welcome to you. And kind of a fun fact, uh, that song was actually written by some of our worship leaders here at our church, which we love. Uh, so Josh Collier, uh, I think Josh Korn and Lindy were all involved in that. And it's a great song. And they're pretty good. And they do a fantastic job. So good. Carrie, uh, Carrie's been taking vocal lessons from me, so I'm really thankful that she's, uh, she's progressing, so she's getting there. Uh, but no, hey, we're so glad that you are here, and, uh, and happy spring break, and happy Michigan winning, going to Final Four, right? Any Michigan fans out there, and all the Michigan State fans are angry, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, if you would, go ahead and pull out the program that you got when you, when you came in. I've got a couple of announcements uh, that I wanted to let you know about. Um, the first thing is, uh, a couple times a year, what we do here is uh, we like to celebrate the stories of people who have experienced life change here at our church. Uh, and the way that we do that here is we really do uh, a, a, a called baptism. And what we do is, uh, we do it in the summer, and we do it here um, coming up in a few weeks. And what we do is we have like the baptism will come out here. People go nuts over this, and we get to hear the stories of people whose lives have been changed uh, because of a lot of, of what you've been doing here and the environments that you create here, but ultimately what God has been doing in their life. And so what we want to do, just to give you a little bit more information about this, uh, is we have our lead pastor from our Troy campus. His name is Danny Cox, uh, and Danny actually has a story of how he came to faith here at Kensington uh, and then ended up getting baptized. So I'd love for you to hear a little bit of his story, a little bit of information about baptism, and I'll give you a couple of details after that. So let's watch this together. In 2000, I had a transformative encounter with Jesus Christ, so much so that I came home from that Easter service, looked at my wife, and I said, the man that left today is not the man that stands in front of you. And it began this journey with Jesus. In fact, it was about a three or four year journey. And friends of mine used to say, hey, you, you need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. But I felt like God was saying, no, wait, wait for your wife. And in 2004, my wife came to me and I said, hey, you know that baptism thing? I wanna do that with you. And we got baptized that summer. It was a beautiful ceremony out in Stony Creek. When we were coming home, my wife said to me, you know what? When we were coming out of the water, I felt like God gave me a vision. Now, if you know my wife, Amy, that's not how she speaks at all. And I said, oh, tell me what this vision is. And she said, you know when you're on a roller coaster and you get, you're in the seat and all of a sudden you start going up that hill, chink, chink, chink and you start moving up that hill to go to the crest of the hill. She goes, that's the vision I had. And then I felt like God said to me, buckle up. You're about to go on the ride of your life. And that statement was one of the most true statements we had ever heard. Over the last 14 years, Amy and I have been on the ride of our life with Christ. And Kensington is holding their baptism service on April 14th and 15th. And if you're that person that feels like God is tugging you to him, then we're inviting you to be baptized. There's nothing magical in the water, but as you go down into the water, it washes your old self away. And as you come up, it's symbolic of God making you into a new creation. It's your public declaration of an inward reality. So come be with us, come get baptized. And I know that you're gonna have to buckle up and get ready for the ride of your life. Come join us. So 
So baptisms are one of our favorite things to celebrate around here. And so if you've not been baptized, if you're interested in being baptized, we would love to talk to you about that. Um, you can just let us know out in the lobby. We have an info station out there. Just head to the info station and let them know that you'd be interested in being baptized. Uh, and we'll get you all the information that you need uh, from there. The other thing I want to let you know about is uh, we are moving into our Easter week here. And we've been talking about this a lot over the last month uh, because this next week is so exciting uh, for our church just because of the number of people that end up coming back to church or visiting church for the first first time uh, during the season. And, uh, and so we want to say thank you to all of you who have already been inviting and, you know, investing in people. And you've been kind of giving those cards out. We gave you cards a couple weeks ago. A lot of you have been doing that. And we're hearing a lot of stories around that. Uh, the other thing that I want to let you know about is because of the sheer number of people that will show up a week uh, from today, from Saturday uh, to Sunday, uh, we ask that you just RSVP uh, for, those, uh, for those services. And the reason is uh, because of the amount of people that show up, we want to make sure that we're ready for you uh, and your family. And so we worked really hard to make sure that this is easy of a process as we can possibly make it. Uh, so all you have to do is go to easterntc.com. That's easterntc.com. And all you can do is you just go in there. It's really fast. You just let us know how many people are coming. Uh, and you can just do that in under 30 seconds. And that just helps us to make sure that we are ready for you and your friends uh, and your family as well. Um, so before we move forward, I wanted to let you know that today you're going to get to hear from one of my favorite people on the planet. Uh, Nick Toomey is going to be speaking today, which I'm super excited about. We'll tell you a little bit more about the message uh, as we move forward. But before we go into that, I'd love for you to go ahead and stand up, give four or five people around you a high five, and ask them this question, were you cheering for Michigan last night? Hey everybody, this is Patrick, and I just wanted to say thanks again for watching our service today online and being a part of this community. Now we know that you might have some questions as you watch the service today and want to find out a little bit more information about who we are, and so we've created an environment for you to do just that. Simply go to startingpoint.today, that's startingpoint.today, and fill out that short form, and one of our staff members will reach out to you very shortly and answer any questions that you have about our church and about who we are. Again, thanks so much for watching. We'll be back at the end of the service today. Uh, to give you a little bit more information, but we'll see you here in just a few minutes. Good morning, everybody. Let's stand and worship together. Here we go.
good to be singing with you guys this morning. Uh, I just want to invite you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're so thrilled to be here. God, there's so many things that you want to say to us specifically through the message, through the songs, through this whole day. God, my prayer is that as we sing, God, that your love would be deposited in a new way, in a fresh way, that we would just understand you, we would fall in love with you in a new way. If we're not a follower of Christ in the room, and we're just kind of wrestling through things. God, I pray that you'd speak to us as well, and that we would understand what this Jesus, what this love is that we sing about in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.
For us here, one of the reasons that we sing that song so much, and we've been singing it quite a bit over the last month, is that we believe so deeply that no matter what your background is, no matter what your past is, no matter what kind of baggage that you carry, that deeply rooted in the heart of us is the desire to reach beyond ourselves and to reach beyond who we are and to reach for something that is divine, that is greater than us, and that can overwhelm all of the guilt and the shame and the pain that a lot of us face, and we believe the only way through that is through Jesus Christ. And so we want to say thanks so much for singing with us. You can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, again, we're so glad that you are here. Um, what I want to do um, before we move forward is uh, I want to go ahead and invite our ushers to, to come forward. I want to say a couple things to you real quick, especially those of you who would call Kensington home. Uh, we just wanted to say thanks so much uh, for being a part of what we do here. Um, for those of you who give, for those of you who are part of this place, uh, we just want to say uh, thank you so much. Last week, uh, you, if you were here, we did um, we talked a little bit about our capital campaign and what we've been doing uh, with that. And uh, a couple years ago, Kensington launched into what we call the Everyone Campaign. Um, and a lot of people gave uh, throughout all of our churches. Uh, and then in Traverse City, we were launching as they were doing that. Uh, and so a lot of that money, in fact, the first uh, almost $3 million of that money came directly to our campus launch here. Uh, before we even jumped in. And so now we're about a year and a half, two years into it. And, uh, and so last week we talked about what it would look like for us to, to give. And, and a lot of you did that. Just so you know, I think we were overwhelmed by the response of those of you who came forward and said, you want to be a part of what God's doing here and that you want to give both locally and then beyond. Giving to people that you'll never ever meet. A lot of these people that you'll never ever see uh, globally and then even in our campuses downstate. And so we just want to say thank you so much for doing that. If you're interested in jumping in, if you missed last week and you're like, you know what, that is something I'd love to be a part of. Uh, when you came in, you got a card, um, and all you have to do with that is just put down like the startup piece of that, because that would be what most of us would be doing. Click on uh, or, or check off startup, and then from there, just put in whatever that looks like. And so last week, we challenged you, just there's like three different levels that we looked at, and, and the, the simplest level, the lowest level of that, is really about as much as you would spend on one cup of coffee per day, right? So in terms of how much you would give per month, I think the lowest level is around $50 a month. Uh, if you just, if you check that, then that's like one cup of coffee a day, if like we could all do that. And so we just want to say thanks so much uh, for being a part uh, of that. Now, as I said earlier, Nick's going to be speaking today. I'm so excited about his message. I've kind of seen glimpses of it, and uh, it's going to be an incredible message. But uh, before Nick comes up, uh, what we wanted to do is we wanted to give you kind of a little bit of a preview of what Easter is actually going to be. So Nick's message is really going to tie into Good Friday, uh, and then which ties us into what we're going to be talking about for Easter. And uh, so we wanted to give you like a 15 to 20 second glimpse of what Easter is going to be like here, so you can just kind of see. And, uh, and you can have something that you can even share online with people that you're inviting to our church. So let's watch this video together. All right, good morning, everybody. Hey, this is the remnant who didn't go south. Some of you came back from southern places. I, I see that, that tan on you. I'm not jealous at all either. Hey, um, some people are surprised if you know me at all. Some of you don't. My name is Nick, by the way. But some of you know that I'm a huge Michigan fan. So this is a picture of me. You probably can't see this unless somebody can get a really tight shot on this, but I got everything Michigan on except underwear, socks, slippers, pants, everything. But I just thought, you know, it wouldn't 
you know, some of you are Sparties. And I had Michigan and Michigan State in the finals playing each other. Didn't quite work out that way. What a crazy March madness. But um, in any event, I'm so glad uh, that you're here. And uh, we are in a, 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 a period, uh, an eight-day period, that begins today. Uh, and this period uh, begins with a day called Palm Sunday. Now, I got thinking about that, and I thought, I, I don't want to assume that people even know. Now, some of you may be going, seriously, everybody knows what Palm Sunday is. Eh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not so sure everybody does. So to get everybody on the same page, I thought we would start with just a little fun uh, congregation participation, multiple choice survey. So you guys ready for this? There's six questions. I want to kind of, and you kind of keep score, tally up how many of the six you get right. So let's start off with this first one. What is Palm Sunday? And, and, and it'll light up the right answer at the end. A, a festival in Palm Springs, California. B, festival in West, West Palm Beach, Florida. C, the day Jesus entered Jerusalem amid great fanfare. D, a day to have your palm read. Okay. Now, you just, before you get the answer, just kind of, and the answer is, now, I don't, like, I'm colorblind, but I think that color changed. And I think it changed to green. It must have been a Spartan who chose that. Should be should be maize. But anyway, that's the first one, all right? So some of you got that, some of you didn't. What town did Jesus enter on Palm Sunday? Now, you've got to pay attention to this one. Ready? Jericho is A. B is Jerusalem. C is Jersey City. D, <laughs> D is Jansalona. I was trying to make it local. I couldn't think of a... So I came up with Jansalona. I thought it was funny, but maybe it was just me. Okay, and the right answer is B, Jerusalem. How you doing? Anybody two for two? Huh? All right, here's the next one. What kind of palm branches did people wave on Palm Sunday? A, Alexander palms, B, tiger palms, C, pygmy date palms. And the correct answer is D, I have no idea. I just threw that in there. I Literally, nobody knows. So everybody gets that one right. So if like, you got them all wrong, you at least get that one. All right, next one. What mode of transportation did Jesus use as he entered Jerusalem? A, a horse, B, an elephant, C, a donkey, D, Batmobile. And the correct answer is a donkey. We'll get into the story in a minute, but he entered Jerusalem on a donkey. Next one, what Jewish festival was Jesus attending? As he rode into Jerusalem, they have three annual festivals. So the choices are A, Halloween, B, Hanukkah, C, Festivus, D, Passover. And the answer is D, Passover. Do you guys even know what Festivus is? Any Seinfeld fans out there? Yeah, okay, so you picked up on that? All right, I had so much fun creating these. I don't know if you guys enjoy them, but I'm having a blast. Okay, last one. What, what did the crowd chant as Jesus entered the city? A, Hosanna to the Son of David. B, hail to the victors. I wrote that even before the game. It was like a, it was a faith statement. The correct answer is actually both. No, that, that's actually is not true. But if you got, so there were six of them. If you got five or more right, congratulations, you're a certified Bible nerd. If you didn't get any right, don't worry about it. We're glad you're here. But that reminds me of a day a long time ago. My son, uh, Stephen, had a friend, Aaron Hale. Aaron was at our house having dinner. I don't think Aaron had ever read the Bible. And we decided, I don't know why we did this, because this, this was not typical at our dinner table, but we had a little Bible trivia. Aaron didn't know anything. He was just, he, he just like, what, what, huh? And then I asked this question. 
What's the name of the guy in the Bible that got swallowed by a big fish? And Aaron's so excited. He goes, I know, I know, finally I know. And I go, why? He goes, Moby Dick. <laughs> he, he, he was dead serious. It's like, no, that would be Jonah. And Moby Dick was a whale. So anyway, um, hopefully, you know, we've kind of brought you up to speed in a fun way on what Palm Sunday is. And actually, Palm Sunday is part of, it's kind of like a three-act play. There's Palm Sunday, there's Good Friday, this Friday, and then there's Easter Sunday. And it's like uh, if you miss a a significant part of a play, it doesn't all hinge together. So uh, our hope is over these next eight days, starting with today, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, that you'll be here, and if you can't be here, maybe you can live stream it. But our our goal is that this whole episode of Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter uh, Sunday will make sense, number one. And number two, that it will move you to either either orient your life or perhaps reorient your life around the person of Jesus. Because as I thought about this, I thought, you know, there's a couple basic different ways that people orient their life. And... uh, I don't know if I've actually used this board. I, I watched Patrick use it, so I thought, I've got to try this sometime. Maybe I've used it in the past, don't remember. But So here's my shot at it. There's two orientations to life. Oh, look at that. That's cool. But there is the, there's the me orientation where I want life all to be about me, and I want you to make my life all about me. And then the other orientation would be to orient your life around the person of Jesus. And that's a very different orientation because Jesus' orientation was always outward. His concern was never so much for his own personal well-being, but but for the well-being ultimately of the world. Those are the kind of two orientations in life. So um, this actually... uh, the, the orientation of Jesus' life or the story of Jesus actually, if, if we were to be part of a, a larger story, we might call it the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. But we're just focusing in, in this, uh, this week on, on the last week of his life. But even the life of Jesus is connected to a larger story, and that larger story is called the Bible. Now, speaking of, uh, of a Bible, this is my very heavy hardcover choke-a-mule Bible. And I wanted to carry this with you because I heard a story from some, from, some, from some friends in Frankfurt that some years ago they were with some high school students in Russia or the Ukraine. I think, I think they were in the city of Kiev. Um, and some of the, the four high school boys got lost from the group. And I mean, like, lo- they have no idea. And the, and the group and the chaperones, they have no idea. There's no cell phones, no way to contact them. So you got these four high school boys. They probably zigged when they should have zagged. They're standing in this square, panicking, not sure what to do. But the one kid was holding a Bible. And this elderly Russian gentleman came up to him because they saw these boys. And they could tell they were Americans. Could, they could tell they were in distress. And the man said, what, what, what is that you're holding? And he said, it's, it's my Bible. And the man said, could I hold it? This student said, sure. The guy grabbed hold of the Bible, clutched it to his chest, and began to weep. Weep, just outwardly weep. It was the first time in his life he had ever held a Bible. And I share that story with you. It touched me deeply um, for a number of reasons, but it also uh, awakened in me the sense of how cavalierly we, we treat this book because it's everywhere. 
It's the most, it, it's the all-time bestseller, but I think in today's world, it's one of the least read. Well, the Bible is comprised, uh, if you don't know this, of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. It has pretty much every form of a literary genre you can imagine. There's historical narration, there's, there's a law, there's prose, there's a wisdom literature, there's poetry, there's... Um, there's biographies of the life of Jesus. There's letters. There's all uh, different kinds of literature. And uh, the Bible, like any epic story, has four key movements in it. So, and the reason I'm telling you this is because Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter fall into this larger story. So if you were to break down the Bible as a kind of this epic story, it starts with creation. Then very quickly, it moves into um, rebellion. The third part, which we'll focus on today, is redemption. And uh, the last part, which we have not gotten to, maybe we're in the process, where God restores all things. Creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration. The Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter section that we're in is part of this larger story in the Bible called redemption. Every epic story has those kinds of movements to it. How many of you have seen the latest Marvel uh, comic movie, uh, Black Panther? Anybody seen it? This, it's, uh, people loved it. I actually went to see it because I wanted to get a sense because I think it fits into this. But you've got, every great story has a beginning. The Bible starts with creation and it has an ending. The Bible ends with the restoration of all things. But in between, every great uh, film has something that goes awry, some kind of rebellion, some kind of treachery that demands for redemption. Um, and so you see it in the Black Panther, you see it in the Spider-Man, Superman, all of those movies. I got thinking about one that goes way back. Now, some of you are going to be going, what in the world was that? But if you're anywhere near my age, check this out because you'll see it. It's a 27-second clip. Watch this. There's the crisis. Can you feel it? Oh, no. Help. There you go. Redemption and restoration. Dudley Do-Right. Oh, it was a much, I don't know, it was a much better world back then. It was a simpler world in a lot of ways, I suppose. But all the great stories have a crisis needing to be resolved. And the ultimate crisis waiting to be resolved is the crisis created by a world that said, I want to make it all about me. And when we rebelled against our, our, our creator, it created the chaos that we're living in. So this is what Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday is really all about big picture now. It's about this third movement called redemption. So what I want you to bear in mind as we go through the scripture is this, and I'm going to say it over and over, hopefully you'll kind of catch on. In this story, there's more going on than meets the eye. There's more going on than meets the eye. Say it with me. There's more going on than meets the eye. So let's get into the story. This is from uh, Luke chapter 19. The story is recorded in all four of the gospel accounts. But this is Luke's account. After telling this story, Jesus had told a story about the kingdom of God. Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. 
Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went out, they went out, so they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying, the, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. And apparently that was sufficient. So they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Now, so far in the story, it's a pretty ordinary event. What you may not know is that uh, they, uh, Jesus, the Passover had actually begun the previous Friday. So when he comes into Jerusalem on Sunday, that was the third day of an eight-day festival. And uh, Jerusalem was a city of about 40,000-ish people back then, but much like the Cherry Festival, uh, when it was one of these major festivals, the population swelled to between 250 and 300,000. So, so far, nothing all that unusual about some, some dude riding into town on a donkey, but then something happened that was out of the ordinary. This spontaneous celebration erupts. Check this out. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the roads ahead of him. Now, you have to imagine, like if you've lived in Traverse City and if you've gone to any of the parades, just imagine the big Saturday parade. There's certain things, there's kids, you know, selling pop and there's floats and, you know, cars and cherry festival queens and marching bands. But then something a little out of the ordinary. Now, some of you may have been around long enough to remember the Williams Brothers floats. Anybody remember those guys? You know, you'd watch the parade and everybody's like, what are they going to do this year? Because they were a little bit out there. It was kind of like that. What's up with this celebration? People waving palm branches. Luke doesn't record the palm branches, but the other Gospels do. He records people laying their garments on the road. It, it becomes sort of like this epic uh, red carpet moment. Um, it it kind of reminds me of The Rock. There's the red carpet, and you know they do this for celebrities. That was kind of a first century red carpet moment. But it begs the question, what's going on? Because there's more going on here than meets the eye. So let's, um, let's pick up the story. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers, okay, catch that, all of Jesus' followers began to shout and sing as they walked along praising God for all, check this out, all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Now, I don't know how many messages I have heard. I don't know how many messages you have heard where people say the same crowd that hailed Jesus as the Messiah on Palm Sunday turned on him and screamed for his execution on Good Friday. I want to put that to rest once and for all. That is not true. It was not the same group of people. This would have been largely Galileans because Jesus performed most of his miracles up north. Like if Israel was like Michigan, Galilee would be Traverse City, Samaria in the middle would be like, I don't know, Lansing, and then Jerusalem would be, I don't know, Kalamazoo or Detroit. Ann Arbor. Thank you. I think that was my son. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right on cue. But uh, so, so the crowds that would have been hailing Jesus, they were the people that spent their time with him. Some of these people were the recipients of his miracles. So it goes on to say, blessed um, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now, this is a direct quote. We've got all these crowds. Jesus is, man, he's coming down the Mount of Olives. I've walked that. It's a very steep uh, downward slope. And they're, they're quoting 
a thousand-year-old quote from Psalm 118. They're celebrating the fulfillment of a prophecy that their king would one day come to bring salvation and deliverance. But note this. What is this much-anticipated king riding? Riding a donkey. And I'll come back to that in a moment. Let me come back to the scripture. But some of the Pharisees, these were like... uh, one of the three religious political parties, highly influential uh, people. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, speaking to Jesus, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. They were offended. They were scandalized that Jesus would allow people to offer him basically praise that was only to be given to God. And Jesus said, that ain't going to happen. doesn't actually say that. He says, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into, into, into cheers. So again, what's going on here? Why all the ruckus? Waving up palm branches, laying down coats on the road. You've got, uh, you've got people who are cheering Jesus' arrival. You've got people who are resisting it. Well, there's another prophecy, a 500-year-old prophecy that's being fulfilled almost to the letter. Check this out. This is from uh, the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament, written over 500 years before Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. What were the people in Jerusalem? Zion, by the way, is a code word for Jerusalem. He says, Shout in triumph, O people in Jerusalem. What were they doing? They were rejoicing, and they were, they were shouting in triumph. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, the reason this is significant is in the ancient world, when a, when a king would mount an animal, he would, he would mount a different animal. If he's going off to war, he would, he would get on his war horse. But if a king was coming, bringing a message of peace, do you, know, do you know what the king rode? A donkey. If he was bringing a message of peace. We know this because in 1 Kings chapter 1, when King Solomon, Israel's third king, when he rode to his coronation, you know what he rode? It wasn't a war horse. He rode a donkey. So as I said, there's more going on here than meets the eye. So let's take a look at the the next scripture. Here's what the king who comes humbly riding on a, a donkey. It says, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel. And I'll remove the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle. And your king will bring what? He'll bring what? You with me, guys? He'll bring what? Peace to the nations. Look at all the references to peace in here. He's going to remove the battle chariots, remove the war horses, remove all the weapons used in battle, and he will bring peace not just to Israel. He'll bring peace to the nations. Is this king who is arriving on this donkey bringing war or peace? He's bringing peace. But what kind of king were the Jews in Jesus' day anticipating? They were anticipating a warrior. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But here's, here's the point. As he enters Jerusalem, the whole scene pans out this way. This was no ordinary entrance. This was no ordinary you know, Passover uh, festival. And this certainly was no ordinary guy riding into town. So as I said, there's more going on here than meets the eye. So Jesus enters Jerusalem. There's pandemonium going on. Crowds cheering him. You've got religious leaders resisting him. And then you come to verses 41 and four, through 44. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. 
Now, let me just pause there for a moment. That phrase, he saw the city, struck me. And it made me wonder, how often do we see our own city? I mean, see it. Or the school that we attend. Even the people that we work with. The places where we recreate or go and eat. I was at a coffee shop last week. I spent a lot of time in coffee shops. I'm way over-caffeinated. And I remember, I wish I could remember more detail, but I just remember sort of seeing somebody, and I had this like tiny little nudge that I should stop and like not even do anything, but just notice them, because maybe if I really noticed them, I would have a prompting. But I just had this, this little thing, but I just was so preoccupied with whatever was on my mind, I just missed it. It struck me that as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he saw the city, and when he saw it, it says that he wept over it. Do you know what that word wept means? It translates, he sobbed. Man. You know, there's different kinds of crying, isn't there? There's the, there's the, like, you watch a movie and, you know, you get, sometimes as you get a tear in your eye or you, you see somebody get baptized and, and, uh, and then there's probably the kind of next level where a tear actually leaks out, but you're still composed. You can kind of talk through it. And there's a kind of crying where your, your, your throat gets, you know, and, and then there's a kind of, there's another level, that weeping, that sobbing. You ever had that? When was the last time you sobbed? I, I, I thought about that, I, and I, I remembered. It's probably sobbed since that time, but I remember a few years ago sitting with the old elder board at Bay Point. I don't even remember what the issue was, but I just broke like a dam. I couldn't stop crying. It was, a, it was unbelievably embarrassing. I was at Stephen Linda Lewis's house on a kind of an elder retreat, and must have been a challenging season. I, I don't, I literally, I don't remember. I just remember I just broke and I couldn't stop crying. I'm like, enough already for crying out loud. That's what I was doing, crying out loud. <laughs> ah. And then like, if you can remember the last time you sobbed, why? Was it about you? Was it about somebody else? Was it about just difficult circumstances in life? Well, Jesus didn't sob for himself. He sobbed the people he came to offer his life for, the ones he came to bring peace and who would one day reject him. Here's why he sobbed. Look at this. Jesus said, if you, even you, had only known on, that, on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He goes on to say, the days will come upon you, the people that he was looking down on, when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, not only is he fulfilling ancient prophecy, but he's making the prophecy. And the prophecy is that that generation would see the utter destruction of the holy city of Jerusalem and the death of its inhabitants. And it happened. Which raises the question, if Jesus, who was the incarnation of Almighty God, a God of love, a God of grace, a God of who's all-powerful, if Jesus predicted this, couldn't he have stopped it before it happened? Because it was a bloodbath, folks. It was a very dark, ugly time in Israel's history. It, Judaism, as it existed for thousands of years, ended in 70 AD. 
The temple was destroyed. The priestly system was scattered. They didn't need it anymore because Jesus was our perfect and final sacrifice. But couldn't Jesus have stopped that? I mean, if God is almighty and if God is good and kind and compassionate, why does he allow evil? Why, does, why doesn't God intervene at these school shootings? Why does the God of love and grace, and who's all-powerful, allow women and girls to be trafficked by the millions? Can't God stop that? Well, the answer is yes, God can stop it. And the good news is that one day God will stop all of it. He promised he would. But here's the here's the. The conundrum. God cannot stop all the evil in the world without stopping evil people. And here's an even harder pill to swallow. That includes all of us. All of us. Here's, here's take a look at this. The evil atrocities in the world, they are on us. Even though we oftentimes want to indict God, it's amazing to me how often we blame God for stuff we've done. The evil atrocities in the world are on us because the evil atrocities in the world are in us. God created us in his image. And part of his image is that we are free, morally responsible people with the capacity to say, I'm going to make my life about you, Jesus, or I'm going to make my life about me. But either one of those, there's very real consequences. And the choices that we make, whether it's the me-centered or the Jesus-centered life, are very real. And that's ultimately what this divine drama is about. So don't miss this. On Palm Sunday, it's more than just waving palm branches. And Easter's more than Easter egg hunts and all that stuff. It's deeper than that. It's about this, it's about this story of a creator and his creation rebelled against him. And specifically, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter is about this part of the story. It's about redemption. It's the ultimate saving the damsel in distress. And so, five days after Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he's crucified on a cross. We call that Good Friday. Three days later, Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. And 40 years after Jesus was raised from the dead, his prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem was fulfilled. But here's where the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem has an interesting twist. On Palm Sunday, as I said a moment ago, one crowd hailed Jesus as king, and on Good Friday, a different crowd screamed for his execution. It was a relatively small group of thugs that were rounded up, basically hired guns, to, to uh, pressure Pontius Pilate to have Jesus crucified. But here's the deal. Both groups missed the nature of Jesus' kingship. None of those groups wanted Jesus to be this, this, um, this meek, humble king who rode on a donkey. They wanted a king to ride in on a horse and to exact justice on the Romans who had the Jewish people's you know, neck on the ground with their boot over it. They were being taxed to death, worked to death. Crucifixions were commonplace in that part of the world. And when Jesus didn't step up and deliver what they all wanted, they killed him. And here's the kicker to the story. This is where the story becomes intensely personal because in many ways we can be guilty of the same thing. When God doesn't act the way we think he should, we can just brush him off and dismiss him. So, we want the God we want, don't we? 
not the God who is. We want the Jesus who gives me everything but asks for nothing. We want the Jesus who finds me a spouse, a better spouse, or fixes the one I have because it certainly isn't about me. It's about her or him, right? Ask your spouse. We want the Jesus who grows my bank account without growing my character. We want the Jesus who saves my marriage while allowing me to remain selfish. We want the Jesus who keeps me from being bullied while never having a courageous conversation to stand up for those who are. Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in Texas, wrote this statement. He said, we don't want the all-powerful, loving God of the universe to do as he sees fit. We want a divine waitress to fetch us what we want. Ouch. When I was in high school, I was a fairly decent athlete. My freshman year in high school, I was in an inter-squad basketball game. I want to give a shout-out to my friend Tom Kowalczyk. He lives in L.A., I told him, I said, dude, um, you gotta, you got to live stream this because I'm going to tell a story about you. Tom and I were uh, inter-squad basketball scrimmage. There was a loose ball, and I, I went to pick it up, and Tom, just a freakish thing, he hit with his knee, he hit my left calf, and it didn't look like anything, a little Charlie horse, and I'm walking around, but I couldn't walk it off. The next day I came to school, uh, I couldn't even walk. I was on crutches, and man, did I get, I just got, my, my, my buddy saw the accident. It didn't look like anything. But what happened is when his knee hit my, the, my calf muscles, it severed some of the muscles, and there was internal bleeding, and gangrene had actually started to settle in. I almost lost my left leg at the knee. And so now fast forward, this completely unrelated to football, but the football season comes along, my parents won't let me play football. Well, I was the kind of the star running back. I played both ways. On JV as a freshman, I was going to play varsity as a sophomore, and my parents wouldn't let me play because of a basketball injury. And I'm, I'm like, I'm beside myself. The coach is beside himself. So I carried on. I, I just wouldn't let up, and finally my parents relented. And I missed all of the two days in the summer. I missed all fall practice. I missed the first game. So I came back and I practiced Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and the JV played on Thursday. They were going to make me play one JV game and then move me up to varsity. In the second quarter of my first game back, I tackled a guy, and I looked down, and my foot is backwards on my foot, snapped my, my right ankle completely backwards. And I, I thought, where, God, where are you? How could you do it? How could you let this happen to me? You're the, you're the one who's supposed to take care of me and make sure that I'm successful and I, and I stay healthy. And how could you let this happen? And yeah. We don't want the all-powerful, loving God of the universe to do as he sees fit. We want a divine waitress to take care of us. Take a look at this next slide. We want the God we want, not the God who is. Check this out. The God who is is, in fact, the God that we need because when you got a cold, you need a physician. When you're emotionally troubled, you might need a counselor. When your finances are a mess, you probably need a Dave Ramsey type of guy. But when you are a sinner destined for hell, you don't need those folks. You need a Savior. One of the most amazing passages in the Bible, which kind of spells this out, is Romans chapter 5. This is written by the Apostle Paul, who actually was one of those Pharisee guys that I mentioned earlier. 
He was essentially a first century religious terrorist, persecuting Christians, had a massive conversion, wrote most of the New Testament, 13 letters. But this guy, Paul, wrote, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, incapable of saving ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what this season, this snapshot of life called Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter is all about. It's the ultimate rescue mission. The God of the universe who stepped into his own creation to redeem it from within question begging to be asked is this. In light of what Jesus did for us, coming into Jerusalem, dying on a cross, more on that on Good Friday, being raised from the dead on Easter Sunday, in light of what Jesus did for us, will we follow him? And friends, this is not, that, that, is, that is the question for the ages. The one who gave his life for you, is he worthy of your love and your loyalty in following him in return? And I beg you to ponder that because eternity is at stake. Now, some of you have said yes to that, and, some, and, and your life shows it. Some of you maybe prayed a prayer years ago, but that's all it was. It was a prayer. Nothing really happened. And some of you are going, no, I've, I've really never done that. And I just, because I'm a simple guy and I like simple things, what does it actually mean to begin to follow the one who entered Jerusalem and eventually died on a cross what, what, what does it mean to come into a relationship where we can move from our personal rebellion and where we are saved and redeemed? Well, I would say it's like this. It's as simple as ABC. A stands for admit. And again, this requires courage and humility to admit that I'm a sinner. There's a lot of things I can fix in my life, but I cannot unsin myself. I can't make myself righteous before a holy God. When you admit that, not just here, but here, you're halfway home. B stands for believe. And we're, we're not talking about just agreeing that there's a God and agreeing Jesus. This, is, this belief carries a sense of placing one's trust in another for what they did on your behalf. So if we admit our sin, if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he took the hit for us on the cross to make payment for our rebellion, and he offers redemption as a free gift, and the C stands for confess, And I'm going to add another one, which is commit. Um, The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. We'll have that experience of redemption. And the commit part just means it's a commitment to begin to follow him as the Lord of it. It's a commitment to to live this kind of life right here. I've, I've lived that life. We all have. Never worked very well for me. But when I began to follow Jesus, when I began to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else just seemed to take care of itself. So I just didn't want to miss the opportunity as we move into Good Friday and Easter Sunday to to just leave you hanging. So I want to just lead us in a simple prayer. And um, when we're done, we're going to sing a song. I want to be clear about something before we pray. When Jesus came, he didn't come to be an earthly king and to grab hold of earthly power. They wanted him to do, to do that 21 centuries ago, 20 centuries ago, 
And a lot of people want him to do that now. But he didn't come to be the king of any earthly kingdom. He came to be the king of your heart. When Jesus becomes the king of your heart, he offers us what we really need. Forgiveness of sin. Grace and mercy. Hope to the hopeless. Freedom to the addicted. A sense of family to those who feel orphaned by life. He offers all of that. And he offers it as a free gift. All you have to do is admit your, admit your sin, make the decision to, to place your faith in Jesus, and commit to follow him. So I just want to lead you in a, in a simple prayer. And, um, you know, maybe you've prayed this prayer before, but it, it's kind of a recalibrating. And if you've, never, if you've never surrendered your life to him, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. It's good news, friends. It's the best news you'll ever hear. When Danny Cox talked about when he went to, to that Easter service years ago and he went home and he said, honey, said to his wife that the man that left this house is not the same guy coming back. I totally, I get that because that was my story. I pray it will be your story too. So would you pray with me? Let's just bow our heads. And I, Lord, I just, I want to uh, pray that right now there would be people that whether they're watching on live stream or they're in the room that would just walk through this prayer and in their own words, they would just talk to you. The first thing I would just invite you to do is admit the truth about yourself. Say it to God. Whatever words you want, God, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm not a mistaker, Lord. It's deeper than that. I'm a rebel. I've shaken my fist at you. I've tried to marginalize you. I thought I was smarter than you. And the world is a mess in part because of the mess in my own soul. I admit that. The B stands for believe. It's the belief that, that Jesus is real, that he came from heaven. He came into this earth for the specific purpose of offering his life as a substitutionary sacrifice. And just say in your heart, Lord, I believe that. I, that's an unbelievable story, but I believe it's true that you came on a rescue mission for all of us, myself included. And then the sea just says, confess with your mouth, just in your own heart, say, confess Jesus, your Lord, your King, your Master, your Ruler. You're a good, good Father. You're the King of my heart. Confess that, and then commit to follow Him. Commit to keep coming back here. Commit to get into a small group. Commit to find some spiritual friends that can walk you through what does life following Jesus really look like? Oh, God, I pray that people would be having that conversation. And Holy Spirit, come over every person in this room in power, from the top of our head to the tip of our toes. Help us to understand. Redemption has come. Salvation has come. Forgiveness is here. It's available. Take it. Lord, we receive it with grateful hearts. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to be the king of our hearts. Receive our praise. We offer it in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed said, Shadow where I hide the rest.
all we got let's lift this from a place of authenticity you guys ready all right let's sing this you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down come on sing that again you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down come on let me hear you sing back row you're never you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down we declare it
That was awesome, you guys. Didn't they sound good on that? Way to go, band. You guys rocked. Great job. Hey, um, you know, I kind of love days like this in some ways because I know there's a bunch of people down south, and I know not, not, not you know, as many people are here, but you're here. God is here, and it was so good to be together. Thank you guys for coming. And there's such good news. And, and people don't know, they don't know this story, you guys. So I just want to encourage you when you leave, uh, grab whatever information is out there. Invite your friends to Good Friday. I think it's going to be beautiful and intimate. And then Easter, I mean, that's, that's like the Super Bowl for us. And I'll tell you this. Uh, if, you, if you prayed today, like today was a day where you just crossed the line. I would encourage you to go on out to the starting point. But even before you do that, I'm going to stay down here. And, like, I'm a hug machine. It's just lo- that's my love language is physical touch. And if you gave your life to Christ today, I would love to put my arms around you and just speak a word of blessing into you. Outside of that, that's all I got. So uh, go out and enjoy springtime in Traverse City. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for watching online. We hope you enjoyed your experience today. We wanted to remind you uh, that, again, this Sunday is going to be Easter. We'd love to see you live at one of our campuses. Uh, you can join us here in Traverse City. We also have campuses all over Metro Detroit and in Orlando. Again, thanks so much for watching. Hopefully we'll see you soon.